0: Well, welcome to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in the thriving metropolis of Sterling, Colorado, out on the Eastern Plains of Colorado. We are not a thriving metropolis. We are actually a small rural town on the eastern plains of Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct professor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Hopefully you are geared up for the Christmas season. You're in the Christmas spirit. Uh, Maybe your church is celebrating Advent each Sunday as you light the candles. You're singing Christmas carols, uh, you're focusing on the incarnation of Jesus Christ at this time of year. Um, it's, it's a glorious time of year to focus in on Jesus as our Savior. Today's podcast is going to deal with an issue that I've had asked to me over many years, and that is, why does Emmanuel Baptist Church have a plurality of Elders. We were one of the first Southern Baptist churches in the state of Colorado to move to an elder model. Now, I wasn't the pastor that did this. The pastor that was before me actually led the church theologically and methodologically to understand a plurality of elders. And so the church shifted from a traditional Southern Baptist model of a single pastor with a staff and deacons and church council and committees to actually a plurality of elders. And so when I was candidating um, as a pastor and looking at going to different churches when I graduated from seminary back in 2004, um, 2004, 2005, uh, one of my criteria that I really wanted to um, be able to go to a church that had a plurality of elders because I had become convinced of this model biblically through my own study. Also, the church that my father planted back in the mid-90s was really, I think, the first church in the state of Colorado, to have an elder model. Um, This was back in 1992. He planted a church in Colorado Springs, just north of Colorado Springs. And um, at that time, no Southern Baptist church had a plurality of elders. So I had been introduced to this almost for way back in the the early 90s. So I had been in a church where my father led them to plant a church with elders. Um, When I was in seminary, Um, A lot of the talk was coming out about a plurality of elders. This was about the time that Mark Dever's Nine Marks of a Healthy Church came out. And so when I went to Emmanuel, I was very, very thankful that they had a plurality of elders, that the church moved to that model of ministry. And so um, ever since then, uh, what Emmanuel has kind of been is we've kind of been, um, I don't want to use the word poster child because that's, that, that's that's probably not a good term, but we've kind of been a resource to other churches that are looking at transitioning from being a traditional Southern Baptist uh, 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 deacon-led, committee-driven type church to more of a a plurality of elders. And so uh, over the years, I've had a lot of pastors come and meet with me on how we did that and resources and looking at our constitution and bylaws and looking at our elder charter and, and looking at a lot of information on that. And I probably five or six churches we've been able to help resource um, as they've transitioned to that model. And so I've, I've had that question asked a lot of times, why do you have elders? And the answer is obviously it's, it's a biblical model. But what I want to do in this podcast is really talk about the high and holy calling of elders and we're going to look at particularly one passage of scripture now there's a lot of passages in the new testament especially in acts and in the pastoral epistles especially first timothy chapter 3 titus chapter 1 acts chapter 20 but we're going to focus today on first peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 first peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 peter the apostle Lays forth what I believe are great and um, a comprehensive and, and very rich teaching on the role of elders in the local church. And so let's read this passage together. First Peter chapter five verses one through four. Peter writes, "So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ." What I'd like to do in this podcast is to ask and answer four questions that emerge from this passage of Scripture. So here's the four questions. Question number one Who exactly are the spiritual leaders of the church? Question number two What's the primary task of these leaders? Question number three, how are these leaders to carry out these tasks? And number four, what is the reward awaiting these leaders? Four questions with four answers. Now, the ESV starts the sentence with, so. So, I exhort you, but really in the original Greek, it's a strong therefore which ties back to what Peter just addressed back in chapter 4 of calling us as all believers to expect and rejoice in suffering. That's really what the whole book of 1 Peter is about, is how to suffer well as strangers in a strange land, being holy. And so as elders, as leaders, from the very beginning, they're not, we are not immune to suffering. We are to be leaders Elders, in how we handle suffering, how we handle persecution, and how we lead the flock, especially in light of persecution, in light of hostility from a culture that stands against the gospel. So what does Peter do? He says, I exhort the elders among you. I exhort. This is a, a strong urging. He pleads with them. He has a serious and intense message for the elders. And what Peter does is give basically three descriptions of himself. He says, I am a fellow elder, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and I'm a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. You see that all in verse 1. It's interesting that Peter calls himself a fellow elder, which is very amazing Because Peter was probably the greatest apostle of all time. He preached the Christian message at Pentecost. He saw 3,000 people get saved. He was the leader of the church. He performed amazing miracles, did amazing things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, he wrote two books in the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If there was ever a person that could look at their resume, look at their accolades, and say, listen, I was the first, I was one of the top apostles, I was one of the top disciples, it would have been Peter. And so Peter could have started this message to the elders by saying, listen, elders, I appeal to you as the definitive leader of the church. I'm the first among the apostles. I'm the top dog. And you better listen to me because I carry a lot of weight. I am the super apostle. I am Peter. But that's not how he starts. He's a man of humility. He's a man of grace. He calls himself a fellow elder. Hey, I'm just one of you guys. I'm just a pastor just like you guys. There's nothing special about me save the grace of God on my life. So when we think about the attitude, really, that starts out this chapter of the mark of an elder, it really comes in Peter's first words before he even begins to give instructions about the roles and responsibilities of elders. It's a humility. He understands his position. He knows where he's come from. He also says, secondly, he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, the word witness is the word martus, where we get our word martyr, but it really means to be a witness. Now, obviously, Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus dying on the cross. Not really, was he? Did, Jesus, did Peter see Jesus die on the cross? Was he there? No, from the gospel accounts, he ran and hid He he was hiding, he he had betrayed Jesus three times, he's hiding out, He, he wasn't anywhere to be found when Jesus was dying on the cross, so how can Peter say he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ? The word witness can mean more than just an eyewitness, it really means one who proclaims, one who acts as a representative, one who preaches the truth, one who gives testimony, One who testifies about the cross. And so what Peter's saying is that he's not only a fellow elder, but he's also a testifier. He's a preacher. He's a proclaimer of the sufferings of Christ. Which really means that elders are to be faithful in the proclamation of Christ and Him crucified. So think about Peter before he even starts to give instructions to elders. He's got humility and he's got a strong passion to testify about the sufferings of Christ on the cross. To be one who humbly yet boldly declares with passion and humility the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then the third thing Peter says is he's a partaker in the glory of that's going to be revealed. He's he's a sharer in the glory that's going to be revealed. This is the hope of the second coming of Christ. And we'll talk about this in just a few moments, but uh, Peter understood that when Christ comes back, he's going to partake in that second coming. There is a reward. There is Christ. There is heaven. There is glory. So let me just give you a, a summary statement that would define an elder just from verse 1. And I'm going to be giving these summary statements throughout this podcast to kind of encapsulate in a sentence, if you will, a working definition of of an elder. But but here's the first thing we really see in verse 1. Elders faithfully testify to the gospel of Christ and are willing to suffer for being a Christian. So, with that as the backdrop... Just in verse 1, let's begin to ask these four questions. So what was the first question? Who exactly are the leaders of the church? And obviously the answer is very simple. They are the elders. Elders are the spiritual leaders of the church. So what exactly is an elder? Well, this idea of elders really comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the nation of Israel that was governed by elders. We also know that the church in Jerusalem had elders. We know that in the synagogue, they had elders. And so Paul and Barnabas, because of their apostolic authority, they appointed elders in all of the churches that they visited on their first missionary journey. So as church planning missionaries... When you go and as an apostolic ministry, Paul and Barnabas, they went and when they started planting churches, they appointed elders to lead the church. We find that from Acts 14.23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now notice it's plural. They appointed elders in every church church, not a single pastor, not a solo pastor, but but a plurality of elders, men, a plurality of men to lead. And then Paul gives some descriptions in the pastoral epistles in Timothy and Titus. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, this one passage of scripture, I could go on and on about because this was the uh, the, the key passage of scripture for my doctoral dissertation at Southern Seminary, combining pastoral leadership with an expository preaching ministry. Uh, the ESV has the word "rule" that the elders who rule well. Um, the, the Greek word there is "prostemi," which really means to lead or to stand before or to preside or to care for, and, and Paul puts the adjective there, the qualifier, let the elders who lead well, who are good leaders, be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, and so you see the combination there, of good, godly, pastoral leadership of an elder, combined with laboring in preaching and teaching, in Titus 1.5, Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Again, notice the plurality, appoint elders. Not appoint a single pastor, but appoint elders in every town. Now, there are three Greek words that are interchangeable that I believe function for the same office or position of an elder. We have the word elder. Now, that's the Greek word presbyteros. That literally means elder, older person. That's where we get the word Presbyterian from. It's the Greek word presbyteros. It means elder. Then there's the word overseer. It's the Greek word episkopos. Uh, it's kind of a compound word, over, episcopos, to see or to oversee. You put those words together. In the Greek, it means to give oversight, to lead, to, to govern. Uh, you kind of get the, the English word episcopalian from that. Now, there is the word pastor, which is poimen. Now, the only place that that word actually shows up is in Ephesians chapter 4 as a, as a noun. The the, the noun pastor. Now, the verb to pastor actually shows up in this passage of Scripture. But when you take these three terms together, elder, overseer, and pastor, I think these are all interchangeable words that address the same office of a person. The same office of of a pastor or an elder. The pastor-teacher, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4. I could give you a lot of quotes to substantiate this. I can go into the Greek. I, I could give you a, a lot of background to that. I'm not going to do that for the sake of time, but um, almost all New Testament scholars believe that these three words are used interchangeably to refer to the same office. It's interesting because when you look at Acts chapter 20, verse 17, you have all three words together in one passage of Scripture Uh, Acts chapter 20 verse 17 and Acts chapter 20 verse 28, it's all part of Paul's farewell message to the elders um, in Ephesus, but I want you to notice how Paul uses all three terms together to refer to the same people. In Acts 20.17, he says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, the presbyteroi, the elders of the church to come to him. So he's calling the elders. This is the the group of men, plural. Notice it's elders at the church of Ephesus. It's not just one man. It's a plurality of elders elders, presbyteroi in the Greek, and then in Acts 20:28, 20, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopoi, overseers, to shepherd or to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now you've got elders, noun, you've got overseers, noun, you've got verb, to shepherd, So all three of those words show up in the same context to refer to the office of elder, pastor, overseer, shepherd, all the same person. And then we also need to realize, obviously, that the Bible is very clear that elders are to be males and males only. Only males are to be elders slash pastors of the local church. First Timothy three: one through five, The saying is trustworthy. If one aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and on and on and on. We do not see any evidence of, even in the Old Testament, of female elders in the synagogue system of female elders, in the church of Jerusalem, female elders, when Paul went and appointed elders in his apostolic ministry, appointing female elders, and we don't see any didactic teaching in the Bible of female elders. If anything, we see that a woman should not teach or have authority over a man. And so we must understand that males and only males are to be elders in the church, the spiritual leaders, the pastors. And obviously... We've been talking about this all along. Uh, There wasn't just one man as the elder, but there was a plurality of elders. There were more than, than one. And notice, too, that in that passage in Acts, it says that the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. Which really means that the Holy Spirit has to have a calling on a man's life to call him to the office of elder. And he has to go through a process of examination. He has to go through a process of calling. Um, He's installed as an elder in the church through that process. But first and foremost, he has to be called out by the Holy Spirit. So here's another summary statement about elders. Elders are men appointed and called by the Holy Spirit to serve as spiritual leaders of the church. So let's ask the second question. What is the primary task of these elders? Well, we see in verse 2 really a clear teaching on what these roles and responsibilities are. Uh, In in verse 2, we see the command. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock of God. Poimeo. That's the 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 verb form of that word to shepherd, to care for, to to lead. Uh, What does it mean to to shepherd? Shepherd the flock of God. Notice it says the flock of God. Um, Before we even look at the task of an elder, uh, Peter reminds us very emphatically that it's God's flock. It's not the elder's flock, it's not Pastor Sean's flock. I, I know what most people mean by this, but I, I, by in, I internally cringe almost every time someone says to me, so, so how are things going in your church? Tell me a little bit about your church. And I understand what they mean. Most people you know, don't, don't have the categories to, to, to ask that question adequately. Really the question should be, how are you faithfully serving in God's church? Most people don't say that, but that's the reality of what the theology is behind it. It isn't my church. It's not the elders' church. Peter here reminds us it's the flock of God. It is God's church. Jesus Christ is the senior pastor. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. We are submitted under his authority. We are simply under shepherds, under the authority of the leader of the church, Jesus Christ. And see, a lot of times, sometimes in in leadership, and I've seen it happen a lot, there is, because of sin and because of depravity and the flesh, I've seen leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, anybody in spiritual leadership desire power grabs. They have at times become arrogant and inflated with pride. And it's because they begin to see the church as their church, my church, as opposed to God's church. Now, one thing I'm thankful for to Manuals, is we've never had that. I've been here 11 and a half years, and we have had godly elders, humble men of God, cooperative, godly men who submit themselves to the authority of the Bible, who don't seek positions because of arrogance or competition or, or any type of ambition. We'll talk about that in just a few moments here because Peter addresses that, but I am blessed at my church to have godly men who support me, who encourage me, who are men of prayer, men of the word, who truly see it as, it's not our church, it's Christ's church. Now, the aorist imperative in this passage is a very strong command. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Shepherd. Uh, The aorist imperative in the Greek language really means to begin to do this shepherding with vigor. Do it with intensity. Take it seriously. I mean, we don't know the situation with Peter's original audience. It could have been that the elders were getting lax. They were maybe caving in under the pressure of persecution. They were getting scared. We really don't know. But the, the verb tense here, the aorist imperative, is really get to it quickly. Start, start shepherding with intensity. Do this with passion. Have an urgency. Have a renewed passion. Get busy about this whole issue of shepherding. Now, what does a shepherd actually do? Now, think about the imagery there. It's no coincidence that the imagery is of a shepherd. Now, think about (laughs) who's writing this passage of Scripture. It's Peter. Why do you think Peter is using the metaphor to shepherd? Is it just a coincidence? What was Peter's biggest failure in his entire life? Well, we obviously know he denied Jesus three times. And he went away weeping bitterly. And then in John chapter 1, during um, eating fish for breakfast one morning on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus reinstates Peter. But it's very, very important what Jesus tells Peter. In John 21, 15-17, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Obviously, you see the parallel here that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Because Peter denied Jesus three times. And what's what's the central question that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And before Peter's given the charge to shepherd, to feed the sheep, there must be no mistake in anyone's mind what the true issue is. It's love for Jesus. So I think this is a good lesson that first and foremost, elders in their shepherding ministry are to be men who love Jesus first and foremost. You cannot lead the sheep. You cannot feed the sheep. You cannot tend to the sheep unless you love the shepherd first and foremost, Jesus. And so one of the things that you've got to ask the question about elders is are these men who just love Jesus? Are they submitted to Christ Is Jesus their all in all? Is he their treasure? Now once we've settled on that, we can move to the task of shepherding. The same word for shepherd here is the same word Jesus used back in John 21. Feed my lambs. Literally, shepherd my sheep. So an elder is first and foremost a shepherd who does this out of a love for Jesus. Care for, shepherd, lead. Well, what does a good shepherd do? When you think about the shepherding metaphor, we could go all the way back to the Old Testament, especially in the book of Ezekiel, and see how poor shepherding happened. But this biblical metaphor of shepherding shows up all throughout the Bible. It's, It's amazing how from the very beginning. And so we see three primary biblical responsibilities of shepherding. Feed, care for, protect the sheep. We're to feed the sheep. This really involves the teaching ministry. Like Psalm 23, we're to lead the sheep to green pastures so they can feed on the Word of God. Uh, The primary task of a shepherd is to give the sheep a steady diet of God's Word. To lay before the church week in and week out the Word of God. Whether this is through an expository preaching ministry from the pulpit as the lead elder, which I do, or if this is through our growth group or small group or Sunday school ministry where all of our elders are leading and teaching the sheep, whether this is in personal conversation, whether this is in giving counsel, whether this is in praying with people, the the part the, the main task of an elder is a word-central ministry, ministering the word, feeding the sheep the word of God. God. That's the most important thing. The most important task I have as an elder is to stand before my people week in and week out and feed the sheep the unadulterated Word of God systematically, expositionally, gospel centrally, under the power of the Holy Spirit, so that the sheep do not starve. It's amazing to me how many sheep are starving in churches because they're not being fed the Word. Of God. And there's so many different things that pastors can get involved in. It's amazing when you go look at the... Um job descriptions on certain websites or certain uh, places I look from time to time to see what the job description is of a pastor that these churches are wanting. And they're interesting job descriptions. We want an innovative visionary with entrepreneurial skills who can be the architect of the future so that we can reach our maximum potential and, and go where God's calling us to go. Okay, but where is the Feed My Sheep? Let me just give a word to pastors that are listening to this. Elders that are listening to this. Young seminary students about going into ministry. If you do not see your primary task as that of feeding the sheep God's word, then you are way out of balance. You are not understanding your role. And your church needs to understand that role. That's part of shepherding is to help the church. Maybe the sheep don't want to be fed. Maybe the sheep don't want to hear the word of God. And, and, and I feel for you, if you're in a context where the sheep don't want to be fed the word, they've been fed pablum. Maybe the pastor before you gave a bunch of topical sermons that were pablum, that were, that were fluffy, and you've come in to, and started preaching, you know, expository sermons and, and, and the people aren't ready for it. You've got to use some wisdom. But your primary goal, my primary goal as an elder, is to feed the sheep the word of God. But also, secondly, a shepherd's care for the sheep tirelessly. There's this care, there's this compassion, there's this loving, tenderly wanting to, um, to, to, to meet the sheep's needs. Uh, Numbers 27, 16-18, "...let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation." who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep who have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. The shepherding metaphor was seen even way back in the Old Testament when when the the transition of power from Moses to Joshua would take place. And God says, listen, the, the metaphor we're using to lead the Israelites into the promised land is that of a shepherd. So the people will have someone to lead them. And Moses was the epitome of a shepherd. Think about someone who tirelessly and patiently loved the people of Israel. When there was no reason to really love the people of Israel, I mean they were they were always rebelling at every turn. And again, I referenced Ezekiel of what uh, pictures of shepherds are not supposed to do. Ezekiel thirty four two through five, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who've been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak, you've not strengthened. The sick, you've not healed. The injured, you've not bound up. The strayed, you've not brought back. Those, the lost, you've not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. Wow. One of the goals of a of an elder we see here is to strengthen the weak, bring healing to the sick, bring hope to the injured, to to go after the strays, to go after the lost, to be a loving, caring, compassionate elder, shepherd, to love and nurture and pray for. Now, James 5.14 says, it says is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord what in the world does this mean we as elders have practiced this on a few occasions now we need to be very careful it says let the sick person call for the elders of the church We are not out there looking for sick people and forcing ourselves on, having a miracle healing crusade where we go out and and try to to heal and anoint all these sick people. But there have been times, I can maybe count on one hand, the times in the almost 12 years I've been pastor, where a sick person has said, would you guys as elders come over and pray for us? And we've come over as elders to their home, and we have actually anointed them with, with olive oil, nothing magical about the oil. Some people may disagree with this, but I think biblically you need to explain what you're doing, and we've explained this to people. Listen, we're not magical. We don't have some type of special anointing on our lives. We are just men of God who love you, and, and, and the, the oil is a symbolic of, of God's um, power to heal. God may or may not heal you. We're praying for healing, but God is sovereign. We explain all that to the person, and then we, we lay hands on them and pray for them and encourage them. And it's a time for us to teach and to shepherd. We can teach about the sovereignty of God. We can teach about how to suffer well. We can can go around that family and pray for them. And so we are to, to love, nurture, shepherd the flock. But there's always going to be false teachers that would come in to destroy the flock. So not only should we feed the flock the word of God, Not only should we love and nurture and care for the flock, but we've also got to protect the flock. We've got to protect the flock from wolves from false teachers, from those that would want to come in and destroy and scatter the flock. Paul says in that same message to the elders in Ephesus and Miletus, Acts 20, 29-31, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, so to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears this happened at emmanuel before i came notice how paul says from among you from your own selves will arise men twisted speaking twisted things paul says listen out of you as elders there's going to come false teachers even out of the elders that are going to lead the people astray before i came to emmanuel there was an elder appointed by the church, commissioned by the church. He was an active elder in the church who kind of went off the rails on some false teaching, started doing like Hebrew roots movement and some things like this, um, kind of drawing some people into some home Bible studies and things like that. Uh, and, and by the time, he you know, he kind of disconnected from the church. And by the time I got there, it was on the tail end of it. And basically, I didn't really know all that was going on, but, but basically, you know, he was never disciplined, which he probably should have been. He just kind of went off into the distance and just kind of removed his membership. And I was so new, I didn't know all that would happen. But I don't, I don't think that it was handled in the appropriate way. He should have been disciplined. But even out of Emmanuel's own elders, there arose someone who was speaking twisted things. And so we've got to protect the flock. And that's why at, at, at Emmanuel, all of the... Bible studies, all of the teaching ministry has to go through the elders. We do not allow anybody to lead a Bible study or to lead anything in any type of teaching capacity. If we have not approved the curriculum, if we've not approved the person, Um, we're gatekeepers. I know some churches just allow their small group leaders to lead whatever. Now, thankfully in our church, most of our elders are small group leaders, are growth group leaders. But you know, the women's growth group on Sunday morning, that leadership comes to me every time they want to start a new study and they ask for permission of what they need to study because they're under the authority of the elders. Um, anytime um, somebody wants to start something with teaching, um, you know, we're we, we kind of the gatekeepers for that. And, and some people have been upset over the years because they felt like that was micromanaging, they felt like that was legalistic. And I've had to tell them, listen, We're not being legalistic or micromanaging. We have been charged as the elders to protect the flock. And we need to do our job. And so part of being an elder is to protect the flock. A lot of false teaching happens in churches because the gate's been left wide open of putting people in leadership positions, in teaching positions. I've seen it happen in other churches where somebody comes in, their charismatic personality, uh, they're, they're kind of magnetic. Um, people are drawn to them. Hey, this this person's a heavy hitter. Let's make them um, the leader of a Bible study, and pretty soon um, they're bringing in weird stuff. Um, I told the story before about when I first came to church. There were some women doing a Joyce Meyer Bible study. I had to go in and tell them not to do that. Um, we've had to, and, and I'll just say this uh, publicly. Um, on a podcast, we have stopped doing Beth Moore Bible studies at our church for about two years now. Uh, we used to do the women's ministry, used to do Beth Moore. And I had major concerns about her many years back. My wife, who's done almost all of her older Bible studies and have seen some of the new Bible studies, had major problems with her. And about three years ago, our women did the, one of the Bethmore Bible studies and, and they came to me and said, man, we've got some major problems with this. I don't think we should be doing this anymore. And so we as elders made a decision that we're not going to allow Bethmore Bible studies to happen in our church. Now, in some Southern Baptist churches, you could get fired as a pastor because that's a sacred cow. Beth Moore is somebody you do not want to mess with in women's ministry if you want to keep your job as a pastor. But here's the beauty of it. I did not have to go in to the women and say, you guys really shouldn't be doing Beth Moore. I monitored the situation until I felt like we we were at a crisis point where we couldn't do her anymore. But it was a beautiful thing to see the women Three or four women from that Bible study have a personal appointment with me and say, I'm struggling with the theology of Beth Moore. I'm struggling with this Bible study. I don't know if we should be doing this. And you know what happened? It was so easy for us to stop doing Beth Moore because the women were discerning. The women had been taught over the years. The women knew their Bible. And the women made the decision. And so it wasn't like the elders had to go in and be the bad guys and say, you guys can't do Beth Moore anymore and have a big uprising. The women came to us and said, you know what? I don't think we should be doing this anymore. And it's not been an issue. We just don't don't do that. But that's part of protecting the doctrine of the church. And yes, it can be very difficult because there are personalities. There are very popular teachers out there all over the airwaves, all over the bookstores that your people may want to do because they're popular. But as elders, you've got to stand before God on the day of judgment to know how you protected the church, and you may take some hits. And you may not you may lose some people over it. But your accountability is to the Lord to protect the church, to love the church. David Hansen has written a really good book called Loving the Church You Lead. Um, I'm gonna give you a quote from this book because I really think it's a it's appropriate reminder to us as elders about how we should love our church. He says, quote, It's fairly easy to love the sheer organization of a well-run place, or a growing mission program, or swarming youth ministries, or spectacular architecture. Yet by the way we do ministry, much of the time you'd think Jesus said, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you run great programs. Sadly, instead of knowing us by our love, The world knows us by our programs. The world doesn't care about our programs. They're as good at running programs as we are. When Christ wants to love a congregation, he establishes a beachhead in the heart of the pastor. It is an affront to the church and an embarrassment to the ministry when pastors read books about their church before they read the book that is their church. It's an amazing quote. Do we love our church or the idea of what we think our church should be? Now, notice what else Paul, Peter says there in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. Oversight. That's the word episkopos, to oversee, to, to show leadership, to govern, to um, lead. So not only are we to shepherd by feeding the flock, teaching the flock, carrying the flock, protecting, but we're also to lead, to be the spiritual leaders of the church, to oversee the spiritual affairs of the church, to be the ones who lead, guide, direct, stand before the church as leaders, shepherds. So let's get to the third question. How are the elders to shepherd? to exercise this oversight. What, what manner are they to lead? Well, structurally from the grammar of this text, we see three things here. Um, you can see it in your English if you just read it. Um, you've got this not, but. Not, but. not. Don't do it in this way. Not in this way, but instead in this way. And you have three contrasting statements about how elders are to lead and shepherd God's flock. So you see these contrasting statements. The first addresses the attitude of the elders. The second addresses the motive of the elders. And the third addresses the responsibility of the elders. So, first of all, what's the attitude? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Think about churches at times. Sometimes there's a vacuum in leadership. And somebody who's not qualified, somebody who's not called, somebody who has no passion, somehow gets volunteered or gets recruited to serve as a spiritual leader and feels like if he doesn't do it, nobody will. That's not the way elders are to be selected. They aren't forced into it. It isn't a chore. It's something they're to do willingly. There's nothing wrong with having a desire to be an elder. I mean, Paul already addressed this in 1 Timothy 3.1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. If anyone aspires, desires, sets his heart on it, passionately wants to. God has called you to this. If there is a willingness to do this, Paul says there must be a willingness, not under compulsion. Elders don't do this because they have to. They get drafted. They begrudgingly do it. They do it because nobody else will do it. No, elders do it joyfully. They do it willingly. At one church that I served at, when I first got there as a young youth pastor, the way that they got people to sign up for leadership was they put all the committee positions on a bulletin board and had lines underneath them, and whoever wanted to serve would just go sign up for a committee. That's a, that's a recipe for disaster, because who's going to sign up? Well, people that are power hungry, people that have agendas, people that aren't qualified, and, and the next thing you know, you have all these people serving on committees who aren't qualified, and the church is in a mess. You know, Peter here and Paul as well say that it has to be done willingly as God would have you. Secondly, not, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This addresses the motive of an elder. You don't become an elder if you have the motive or the desire to make a lot of money or you want to take advantage of people. I can attest to you that the ministry doesn't pay that much. It's not a lucrative deal. But yet eldership can be a place for a wolf to use a church as a means to get rich and take advantage of gullible sheep. Do you realize how many times the New Testament talks about false teachers? And always at the top of the list is dishonest gain or a love for money it's almost all the way through the bible titus 1 7 for an overseer as god's steward must be above reproach he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain greedy for gain second peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Shameful gain. Greed. There's an ancient document that was used by the early church called the Didache. It was really a church manual that talked about how to order church, the life of the church, It's interesting what they say in the section about false teachers. It says this in the Didache. Quote, whoever says in the Spirit, give me money or something else, you shall not listen to him. (laughs) I mean, things haven't changed much over the past 2,000 years. Money-grubbing pastors who want to domineer over the flock, who want to shamefully... Take advantage of the flock, shameful gain. I mean, you see this all the time, especially that the major televangelists who fleece the flocks to get rich. So, here is another summary statement about elders: Elders compassionately lead the church with integrity and a willing heart. Well, the third not but statement here in verse three: not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, we need to be careful here. What Peter is not saying is that elders don't have any leadership or any governance. I mean, he's already established the fact that the elders govern, they lead, they exercise overtask, they are spiritual leaders, that's not the issue. Elders, by the nature of their calling, are called to lead, I mean, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There is an authority structure in the church. Elders have been appointed by God as the leaders. But we need to be careful here. We're not asking for blind loyalty where everybody's a clone, no one has an opinion, you, you don't ask how high whenever an elder says jump. Yes, there's a healthy submission to the leadership of the church, but it's not blind. I mean, what happens if elders are flat out wrong or sinful? Do you have to submit to the leadership of sinful elders who, who, who are false teachers? I mean, thankfully, we have an open door policy here at Emmanuel where any church member can come in and talk about issues with elders. Our elders meetings, if you want to come in and address the elders, we would love to have you come in. We want to be a listening ear. We want to, we want to be wise and caring. We do not want to be authoritarian. You see, there's a difference between authoritarianism, authoritarianism and exercising authority. We as elders lead, and we make no apologies for that. I think elders are called to lovingly, Carefully, graciously, with wisdom, lead the flock. We've got to lead. What Peter's telling us not to do heres he doesn't say just don't lead. He he uses the word domineer. Do not domineer over the flock. Do not be authoritarian. Do not be dictatorial. Do not be domineering. It's my way or the highway. If you don't like the direction of the church, there's the door. Good riddance. I've heard pastors say that to, to church members. Well, if you don't like what we're doing, there's the door. Now, we've had people leave our church after meeting with elders over theological issues, over other issues, and it's been painful. But we have always left that meeting, praying over the family. We've always left that meeting, hoping that we were above reproach. We have never once told a family, there's the door. If you don't like it, leave. It's our way or the highway. Now, we've been clear on some stances and say we're not going to change our stance, This is where we are theologically. This is where we are methodologically. This is where we are. This may not be the best fit for you. We would bless you to go find something elsewhere. We love you. We want to pray for you, but we would never domineer. And that's what Peter's saying. Don't domineer over the flock. We're to be servants. We've come to pour our lives out for the sheep. It's interesting the Greek word used there, not domineering over those in your charge. Literally, the allotments. The imagery here is related to an inheritance. It's the idea here that that God in his grace has given to us elders an allotment, a portion of his flock. And, And obviously each local church has been given an allotment. Um, I, don't, I don't have the same flock as, as other churches in, in my town. God has given to those elders an allotment of his flock. And so each local church is an allotment. It's an inheritance. It's a, it's a charge given to a local group of elders that God has given them. And so that's our allotment. And we're supposed to be examples to the flock. Notice how the imagery in the Bible is not one of a cattleman. What does a cattleman do? I mean, out here in northeastern Colorado, we have a lot of farmers and ranchers. Cattlemen drive the cows to the destination. You, you're behind them, and you prod, you, you lead, You drive. you drive cattle. But a shepherd goes out in front of the sheep as a leader by example. He doesn't drive the sheep. He's out in front of the sheep. They're following his example. Elders consistently display exemplary lives of godliness and Christ-like character as examples in theology, examples in marriage, examples in lifestyle, examples in, in in attitude. These are men that the church can look at and say, I want to be like that man. I want to have the marriage of that man. I want to have the temperament of that man. I want to have the fruit of the spirit of that man. I want to have the Bible knowledge of that man. That man is worthy of Following because he's a godly example. Now, here's the final question What's the future reward for faithful elders? Well, we see this in verse 4 And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Notice Peter's title for Jesus the chief shepherd, the senior pastor, the highest shepherd, the lord of the church. When Jesus, as the senior pastor, comes back in all of his glory at the second coming, Elders receive a crown of glory. It's called an unfading crown. Now, the crown here is not the Greek word used for what kings or those in royal positions wear. No, instead it's, it's, it's more like the leafy olive branch crown bestowed upon athletes when they won in the Olympic games. games. It's a crown of victory. It's a crown of glory. What in the world is this crown? We have in the Bible the crown of life crown of glory what does it mean do we get a literal crown do we wear it in heaven what is this a word picture what is this really about i don't know exactly how it all works but there is a reward for faithful elders often in church we don't want to talk about rewards we 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 kind of you know justification by faith alone sometimes we don't want to talk about rewards because we don't want to downplay that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone but the bible talks about Elders getting a reward. Now, we're not saying that elders have a higher place in heaven than non-elders who are just normal Christians. There's not this uh, level of, uh, of, of like space in heaven. All of us are going to be in heaven, justified by grace alone through the imputed righteousness of Christ. But I do believe there's a special reward for the faithful elder. For the man of God who's labored tirelessly to preach and teach and love and feed and shepherd and protect and pray for and guide the sheep, God's flock. What's the crown? Well, we can ask it a different way. Who is the crown? Who is the crown? I think the crown of glory is Jesus Christ himself. And as faithful elders, we get the the well-done, good and faithful servant message from Jesus when we get to heaven. Why would he make the point of talking about the faithful reward for elders if there was not some type of special reward? And I don't know exactly how that all works out, but there is some reward waiting for the faithful elder. Jesus, in Matthew 25, 23, says this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So why do we as elders, or why do we as Emmanuel Baptist Church have elders? Because it's biblical. Plurality of elders, male elders, We teach, we preach, we lead, we care, we nurture, we protect, we're men of character, we're godly, we're examples, we've been called by the Holy Spirit, we've been appointed by the church, and it's a high and holy calling. So if you're listening to this and you are a pastor, remember it's a high and holy calling. God has called you to this. If you're an elder in a church that's not the lead pastor, the preaching pastor, you have a high and holy calling as an elder. If you're a young seminary student who's thinking about going into the ministry and God has called you, it's a high and holy calling. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, help us to remember that by God's grace we can be the elders God has called us to be for the glory of Christ and for the good of His people. Well, thank you for listening to understanding Christianity. I'm so thankful that you are a faithful listener. I I try to give um, topics on here from all different um, range of topics, uh, from issues related to pastoral ministry, to theology, to current events that are happening in the evangelical world, to preaching, to, to, to hot topics, all these different things that I hope would benefit you as a leader. So if you benefit from this podcast, would you please pass it along? Let somebody know. Let somebody know on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter or or on iTunes that that you've benefited from this. And again, thank you. May God bless you. Have a great Christmas season. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And I look forward to our next time together. And I'm not sure what the next topic is going to be, but may God give you a great Christmas season. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.